Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to get Onyx Maps on your phone, you need to get Onyx Maps on your phone, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I am the kind of guy who likes to know where I'm at at all times, and I like to do a lot of running and gunning. So there's times where access is very important for me, knowing where I was at, knowing how to get to a specific location, especially in the dark of morning or night, getting in and getting out. And the best part for me is that I have GPS on my phone, and Onyx allows you to leave basically breadcrumbs uh, and leave a trail or your access routes on your phone, save those access routes, and then use your GPS going in and out of your tree stand locations every single day. And it's awesome because you won't get lost in the dark. And I use that so much, that little portion in itself, so much throughout the season that uh, it's probably the most useful function of that app. Now, you can also leave waypoints like where your trail cameras are at, where your tree stands are at, where you see scrapes and rubs or marking trailheads or campsites. This is the perfect app for a do-it-yourself hunter. I mean, really for all hunters, because it allows you to journal your properties that you hunt, right? And uh, the more information you have, the more successful you will be on a yearly basis because you keep gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And soon you'll see trends in that data and those trends will lead you to hunting more efficiently and becoming more successful, in my opinion. So go to Onyx or wherever you download your apps, pick up Onyx and you can use the discount code NATION20, N-A-T-I-O-N 20, and save 20% off for first-time users. Onyx Maps. 
My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. You are listening to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I've got two good buddies with me at the Global Headquarters this week. Jonathan Webster, Ty Dennison. Both of them relatively new hunters. One of them really new, one of them less new, but has entered into a new phase of his hunting. We talk about limiting factors of hunting, and I was surprised at what they said. I was it informed the way that I now view new people coming into hunting. Very fun. It's just a fun conversation I have with these two guys. Be sure this week to check out our friends over at W Hunting Supply right here before Christmas. They're having a sale on their Alpha Astro bundles. $100 off the bundles at dusupply.com. Alpha and Astro is our tracking devices we use for hounds. Check them out. Also, check out our buddies at Western Bear Foundation. Joe Condellis, president and founder of the Western Bear Foundation. He's actually got an article in the January-February issue of Bear Hunting Magazine. The Western Bear Foundation, though, is a nonprofit hunting conservation organization for bear hunters and bear conservation. Lastly, the next thing that we're going to be doing it's baiting bears this spring. Check out our buddies at North Woods. Man, I say buddy a lot. I've been told not to say buddy so much, but I can't help it because these guys are my buddies. Check out North Woods Bear Products for a full line of scents. I always say that uh, these commercial scents are, are chemically designed to be more potent and powerful than any natural scent that we can put out for bears. So where it's legal and you're baiting bears... You should be using Northwoods Bear Products at northwoodsbearproducts.net. And this is probably the most important thing that we've said thus far on the podcast is right now, between now and New Year's, we're going to be having $15 subscriptions, new subscriptions and renewals to Bear Honey Magazine. If you've been looking for that entry point, that place where you can say, now I can justify becoming a subscriber to bear hunting magazine if you've been looking for that this is it go to bear-hunting.com and you can become a subscriber to our magazine 15 dollars, or you can renew maybe you're maybe you have a subscription to bear hunting magazine and even if it's not up for renewal you can come to the website right now and just do a standard renewal it'll cost you 15 dollars, and you can you can renew your subscription it'll just add on we also have for a limited time, a, a three-year renewal for that $15, which would be $45 for three years. But hey, that helps us out a ton uh, to, to be a subscriber to the magazine, and you get it mailed to your door six times a year. Tons of fun. Lastly, hey, the podcast is growing, and in 2020, we're going to be doing a better job of uh, a lot of things. And it helps us when you give us a review. It also helps us when you share a podcast with a buddy so you can help us you can help us by 
you know, if you hear a podcast, a, a specific episode that you really like, send it to a friend, encourage them to listen to it, and we just really appreciate it. Hey, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the crew here at Bear Hunting Magazine. Larry the Cable Guy. That's how authentic <laughs> his experience I tell you what. I tell you what. I tell you what. You're not allowed to say get her done in this podcast. No, I'm sir. I'm just going to come out. I, not even in just limited to this podcast. Just Have you never. ever said that in a real context? Like, and meant it? Yeah. No. No. Thank God. I I went up. <laughs> we went on a, uh, what was it? Oh, no, it's Hot Springs. We went on a duck boat tour in Hot Springs. Mm. And uh, the... Probably one of the most stereotypically redneck men I've ever seen was our duck boat driver, which shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> right. Tank top, tattoos, hat, just all this stuff. Yeah. You couldn't understand him, and you definitely couldn't understand him through the microphone he was wearing when he was telling you about everything. <laughs> right. And he'd be like, oh, man, she barely, I was that was big old bang, man, old dang old. And, uh, <laughs> Especially and coming like, through the, the and, yeah, exactly. elaborate <laughs> duck, duck boat speaker microphone system. speaker system. Right. <laughs> and then, but you knew he told a joke. Because a guy behind us, who f- spoke fluent Hot Springs redneck, <laughs> would just go get her done anytime a joke came out, like because it'd be something he'd say, like get factual. Her done. Yeah, there, he'd say something factual like, "Oh man, oh bathhouse, I see something." Oh, 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 oh. And then, <laughs> nothing. And then he'd be like, "Oh, is there Mario? I don't know. And then you hear, "Get her done." And you knew it was. Funny. I knew it was a joke. And I'm like, ha ha. And you were like, "Laugh, boys, laugh." laugh. I understood was, that reverence. It was just me and Sarah, and we we're just like, "We laugh now, ha ha." <laughs> <laughs> The Arkansas boot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know the duck boat driver was probably my cousin. You know, <laughs> I, 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 all my family still lives down in Hot Springs. Yeah, I, for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, like my, you know, both my parents are originally from Hot Springs. I had no so idea. So their extended family lives there. What took him to Mina? Uh, work. Oh. My dad in 1984 got a job over there. Well, all right. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Huh. I've, I grew up. I've been in all manner of Texas and been around all manner of Texas redneck, so I can handle Texas redneck. But there are some enclaves of Oklahoma and Arkansas that I can't. Like, I just literally, I can't. What do you mean? You it's can't understand them? I can't them? understand them. Like, it's, really? it's rare. It's rare. But there are some. Like, I distinctly remember when I was uh, traveling around with Melissa Talks doing, like, uh, uh, Teen Mania worship events, and we were in Jay, Oklahoma. Yes. Mm. There's a big old fella, sweet, like nicest dude in the world. And I mean, he had like the welder's holes in his shirts and everything, just blue collar, salt of the earth guy. Welder holes, what do you mean? Like when you're welding, you okay. you'll spark your metal yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, holes in your shirt. Gotcha, like, and gotcha, and, gotcha, and gotcha. I, I mean, I grew up, my dad was a welder and I grew up around, I, I, we were a very working class family. And so I instantly see stuff like that and I know he's a welder. Or he's been yeah. a welder. Yeah, he's welded like, non-stuff like in the Sherlockian right there. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. and uh, so like I I knew that guy, but like I was like, bro, I can't understand you. Like I know who you are <laughs> by like observing you because I've just been around it. But it was just like those words, those don't sound like words to me. I'm so, I didn't yeah. tell him that, but I always always have to like focus. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and I'd kind of decipher what he was saying because you know, he helped. Like he was one of the main helpers setting up, helping us set up the, for the worship event. Different, yeah. I think it technically would be considered different dialects. Yeah, mm. it, it's amazing to me the differences. One time when I was in college, let me tell you a story. One time when I was in college, I uh, 
I was sitting in a in a classroom. It was like a algebra class. First day of class, I sit down and I hear a guy behind me talking. And I'm from Western Arkansas, and I knew some people from a little town called Gurdon, Arkansas, and had spent some time in Gurdon, Arkansas. And I hear this guy talking. I don't see him. I can't evaluate anything about him. I hear his voice, and I turn around and I say, "You're from Gurdon, Arkansas." And he he looked at me and he said, "You're exactly right. He was from Gurdon, Arkansas. He yeah. had that distinct of an accent." From that town, yeah, I knew it was from Garden, Arkansas, and uh, like around here in Washington County, um, we're recording. By the way, around here in Washington County, I, I know a farmer over here that I deer hunt on. Very distinct Ozarkian accent. Like he's not been influenced by media, or he's just been influenced by who he is. His accent is very different than Ori Province's accent. Yeah. 30 miles to the southeast. Huh. And Ori would have, Ori was the old man, 91 years old, that we did the podcast oh, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lived out in the mountains, yeah. born on the mountain, lived his whole life on the mountain. The furthest east he'd ever been was Little Rock in 91 years. I mean, for those who are listening, that would be like, you know, like three hours. Furthest north he'd ever been was Kansas City, which is about four hours. The furthest west he'd ever been was Sand Springs, Texas, which is probably six or seven hours. The furthest south he'd ever been was, uh, I think, Texarkana. <laughs> and anyway, wow. but his accent was real different than this farmer over here in Prairie Grove. That I know. But anyway, just such, I don't understand it. But I, I, I started to say that to say the most unique and my favorite rural American accent that I have ever personally witnessed would be a man by the name of Roy Clark in eastern Tennessee. We did a film about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching and, that And one. even amongst his peers, all the guys over there, I mean, they've all got very distinct accents, but his is like at a whole different level. And uh, you, can, you can actually hear the Scotch-Irish roots of the way that he says says things and the cadence of his talk. And it's more the cadence. You know, my buddy Daniel Roop, who's been on this podcast before too, knows man uh uh he knows he's he's fluent in Mandarin Chinese. Now Daniel's got that real deep voice, right? Isn't that Daniel's voice? Uh you know, maybe. I I, I don't know if he's it would be considered who's, deep. Is Daniel your, the, your videographer? No, no, no. That's Brent Reeves. Oh, Brent. Brent's okay. got, man, Brent's got a radio voice. Yeah, Brent's got a good <laughs> I radio I wish voice. I sounded like Brent Reeves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just saying that. All of us do. All of us do. For sure. Daniel Roop. Okay, I'm, I'm got lots of stories going here. Daniel Roop knows fluent Mandarin Chinese. Huh. And, and Mandarin is a tonal language. Right. Y'all know what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you could say the same word like, we could ha- that word could mean different things if you said we, we, or we. I mean, right. And so, so that's what I I hear in uh, Roy Clark's accent is he's like, we were coming along through there, Clay, <laughs> and we came up on that bear, and he was coming through there. He he just goes up and huh. down and up mm-hmm. and down and up and down. You know, and it's it's he he's just I, I just could sit around and just listen to him. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, well, 
I can't talk about my future podcast plans, Ooh. but they may or may not involve, no one's involve listening. Eastern you can tell Tennessee. Them. You can just tell No us. one's it's, listening. It's just <clears throat> us three in this room. Right. Well, hey, to talk about the, the subject at hand, I've got with me in the office here, Jonathan Webster. Hey, hey. You're a former, you've been on the podcast before. Yeah, very you, first. We, we did the Why Why Does Coon Hunting Matter That's podcast. Right. January of 2019. Yeah, was that this year? That was this year. Okay. Beginning so, of the year, and now we're closing out the year. 2019 oh, wow. is a good. Uh, Bookending it with J-Webb. Like yeah, it. so so J-Webb's here. And uh, John, pull your mic just a little bit closer up to your face. All right. How's and that? then we have Tyrell Dennison, also known as Ty Dennison. Yes, sir. Um, Ty is. Uh, I'm surprised you hadn't been on the podcast yet. But I was on when we were at uh, Deer Camp a couple. That's right. Years ago. That's right. You were. You were. It was kind of a audience. It yeah, was kind of an audience. So you. Yeah. Yeah. You have been on the podcast. Yeah. And Your then I was, we did a, a coon hunt together. The one where we ate coon out in the woods. Right. So you, you and the boys were on a vlog with mm-hmm. us when yeah. we when we went out there. So people that might know these guys. But what we're going to talk about is we're talking about barriers to entry for new hunters mm. coming into hunting. That's the topic at hand. And both these guys have different levels of uh, expertise in this area. And That's I'm, I'm going to give you guys expertise. I'm going to give you guys short introductions and then we're going to get to a little activity that yes. we're going to do, okay? All right. So, so Jonathan would have been uh, well, you could just say it nicely. You could just say it, it's fine. Well, I mean, you're you're you you grew up in Florida, Florida, Panhandle, Florida, and had zero context for zero hunting. capital zero percent introduction into sportsman life or outdoors. I mean, went camping, but never went hunting, never right. went fishing, nothing. And you're, it wasn't inside your family culture. Nope, nope. Just no context for hunting. City slicker through and through. Right. Really? And then you moved to Arkansas 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And that's when we would have become friends. Yeah. About 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. And and that was my first even introduction to hunting. I was like, oh my gosh, there's even like there's even like a, a trophy head in Clay's living room. Wow, I've never really actually seen that. Although I had seen some trophy animals from some mutual friend we had in Florida. But I mean... You realize you're using a hot button word there. Oh, am I really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm We're gonna talk, so funny. This is perfect. It's this perfect. is great. I'm so, I'm so naive. I don't even know that. That's good. Well, we can talk about that. Okay. So that that's all the introduction I that's want it. from you right Perfect. now. Perfect. Okay. But well, you've become a hunter. Yeah. You, we we have been hunting together. You've taken several very honorable steps towards becoming a, a hunter that can acquire his own wild meat in that's a responsible, it. sustainable, manly, that's right, God fearing way. Okay. Yeah. So Tyrell Dennison. We can, we'll get into this more later, but yeah. Ty grew up hunting in Texas. Waterfowl mm. hunting, fishing. Yep, dove uh, hunting. Dove hunting. Now, you never deer hunted until you are up here? I went on, I went, I went deer hunting one time until okay. I moved up here. Yeah. So you, you grew up in the south and, and had some hunting influence, but it wasn't like your dad was a big hunter. Correct. My dad did not hunt. My dad did not fish. My mom's family all fished. They lived off the sea. They were commercial fishermen, right. owning tackle shops, all that. But my yeah. dad... He was a cowboy from the Panhandle. It just never clicked for him, and he worked so much. He just didn't want to go spend time in the the duck line or out on the water. He just wasn't his thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's stop right here. Those dogs, I think they add some authenticity. They definitely add authenticity to the ambiance. We're here at uh, Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters. (laughs) (laughs) Any dog you hear uh, is obviously a a A beast of burden, a working dog. That's right. That's funny. 
Yeah. Yeah. Keeping the conversation going. We pivoted. Briefly, and then we went ahead. So you have some experience in hunting, but when you moved to Arkansas 20 years ago, or Mm -hmm. close to that, not quite 20 years ago. um, Man, it it has been a while. It's crazy when you put it that way. you, uh, You started a family. You've got two boys and a little girl. But, you know, and our kids were kind of growing up together. And uh, and probably it was 10 years ago that you started doing some bow hunting with me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was a progression, and it took a while, which came to a climactic point of beautiful, jubilation. A beautiful eight point mm. last year. Uh, of uh, jubilation. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about that. So you had a different level of barriers to entry. So, so Ty has a family. Mary has a family. Jonathan isn't married bachelor and so i want to talk about like really what are truly the limiting factors inside of hunting yeah. not and and i know y'all haven't been uh indoctrinated with all the common theories because you just probably aren't pay- you know i mean you're just yeah. this isn't necessarily your biggest space that you're paying attention to right okay but before we get into all that we're going to take a sportsman's quiz. <laughs> <laughs> for the theme song. <laughs> Listen. Okay. So this quiz is not designed to humiliate anyone. <laughs> this is going to it won't, right? It, <laughs> it's not designed it, it to. It truly is not designed to humiliate anyone. It does it, just establish our bona fides as not it, quite hunt sportsmen. It will establish, okay, in any multiple choice test, you know, there's a lot of, there's a level of ability to, decipher different right. you know the answer just by how it's that's worded true. that's true so it's it's this is an intelligence test <laughs> how good are we as, as test takers more than anything there it test is. takers but i think some of the questions are like i'm pitching you a softball okay, okay? Uh, you know there's some questions that are going to be hard some that are going to be not so hard but most of these questions will give me insight into really how much you know Ooh. about modern North American hunting. I like it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So here's the challenge is that it's multiple choice. You cannot, you guys, I know you both personally, inside and outside of this sphere, and I know that you're honest men. You cannot make your guess based upon what the other guy says. Okay. Okay. I commit to you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, like you, I can't, can't, yeah. you can't just say B because John said B and you don't know the answer. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Can we agree to that? Yep, we can agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Question number one. What is the name of a group of bears? A, a gaggle. B, a cohort. C, a herd. D, a sleuth. Ooh. Jonathan Webster, what's your answer? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go with sleuth. <laughs> I have no D, idea. D, sleuth. That's my okay. guess. Okay. Yeah, I initially went herd, but for some reason I want to say sleuth as well. So Gaggle's not bing, right. Bing, 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 oh, bing, bing, right. correct. All Both right. of you correct. Yeah. Wow, the okay. name of a group of bears is called a sleuth or a sloth of bears. Yeah. So if you saw like multiple bears together, which would be very rare, bears are typically every every answer we're going to kind of give us a little bit of dialogue yeah, about it. Sure. So you know, many animals are group animals, herd animals, flock animals. You know, uh, but every single type of animal has a unique name. This this is really cool. There there are hundreds 
of names of animals, like a covey of quail, a sleuth of bears, a herd of deer, a flock of geese, um, a murder, murder of, of crows. crows. Murder of crows. What's uh, a coven? Coven is something. Coven. Covey. Well, you know, there's covey, covey of coven. There's a coven of witches. Not <laughs> witches, but that's the thing. There's, a, there's so, one animal, a group of them is called a coven, and yeah, you're like, yeah. like, witches? I don't know yeah, yeah. what it is, though. So, okay, great. Well, there you go. All right. Okay. Number two. What? There's a softball. Okay. What country did the descendants of the plot hound come from? Oh, I know this one, but I cheated. because Switzerland. B, Poland. C, Germany. D, Austria. Tyrell Dennison, you answer first. Oh, man. Uh, and, I, and I know I've listened to this, this episode before. I either want to say Germany or Austria. I'm going to say Germany. C, Germany. Jonathan Webster, your answer. I believe Johannes Plot was from C, Germany. Ding, 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 oh, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Correct. Okay. This, I didn't mention, this quiz is also going to let me know how much you guys are listening, listening to, to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's a few very specific answers. Okay. So far, everything that I've answered, I've like the knowledge has been from. Mm. Okay. Question number three. What is the estimated black bear population of North America? A. 150 to 300,000. B, 800,000 to 1 million animals. C, 3 to 4 million animals. 4, or excuse me, D, 400 to 500,000 animals. Again, the oh. estimated population of black bears in North America. Jonathan Webster. Oh, man. What was the second one? What was B? Second one was 800,000 to 1 million animals. That seems high. I'm going to go with D, 400 to 500. Okay, we've got D. Ty Dennis. What was A again? A is 150 to 300,000. No, I'm going D as well. D. Oh. Estimated population of black bears in North America is 800,000 to oh, 1 wow. million okay. animals. Okay. Wow. Estimated, estimated population. Okay. Let's see. I don't have these numbered. I believe this is question number four. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission was founded in what year? A, 1947. B, 1890. C, 1964. D, 1915. Tyrell Dennison, what's your answer? I'm going A. A, 1947. Jonathan Webster. Mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vary. I'm going to go with D, 1915. 1915 is the correct answer. Oh. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, now that would it's give some insight into the er, the first 20 years of the 20th century were very, that was when things started to shift for mm -hmm. North American wildlife. And game agencies were established. Before that, I mean, there were no, effectively, no game laws. Yeah. Well, that, and that was, Teddy Roosevelt had a huge hand in that, if I'm not right, mistaken. Right, and he would have been president in the early yep. 1900s. And I mean, it was him along with a whole bunch of other people, but it's like this whole thing of of wildlife sustainability, conservation, all, and you know, state agencies were like, "Hey, we got to regulate what these people do with wildlife." So, 1915 was when the Game and Fish became a state agency. But Ty Dennison, it wasn't until the 1940s that that the game that they were actually given full legislative power to make and enforce game laws oh. from 1915 to like 1944 just however it was set up like basically the game and fish commission as far as enforcing laws had very little uh ability to like pound on a poacher for gotcha. doing something wrong 
So anyway, so they really became really effective after that time. Well, I have a question, a bonus question. Bonus question. When was like Boone and Crockett have come up with kind of a a point system? Well, Boone and Crockett was made, was founded in 1887, I think. So that's when, that was the start of all the good stuff that's happened in the last 50 years. It's kind of in that time. And that was right at the peak of when it was its worst. Big game populations were decimated to the point when almost they didn't think that they were going to ever come back, you know? Hmm. And that's so that late 1800s, but, it, you know, it takes 20, 30 years, 50 years for stuff to really systemically change. Okay. All right. Number six, the Lacey Act law is a law that A, regulates antler sales in the lower 48 states. B, regulates the sale of wild-caught native North American fish into international markets. C, prohibits trade in wildlife, fish, and plants that have been illegally taken, possessed, transported, or sold. D, Native American tribal law that regulates lace garments made from the hide of wild sheep. Jonathan Webster, what's your answer? <laughs> I have never heard of this in any way, but those were such specific answers. I'm going to say all of them. Can I say all? The, can no, I say you cannot? That option is wrong. number five, all. <laughs> that is wrong. <laughs> I've never heard of this at all. I have no idea. You have no idea. No idea. You don't even want to take a guess based upon. Okay, I'd say the uh, cadence of my voice as I spoke. Oh man, tonal languages would have helped me a lot here. We'll come back to you, Ty yeah. Dennison. I want to say B or C. I also have not heard of this. I would say C. Um, ding, 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 ding. C. Yeah. Yeah, Prohibits trade I, yeah, of wildlife, yeah. fish, and plants that have been illegally taken, possessed, transported, or sold. So mm-hmm. basically the Lacey Act, um, the main thing that it's enforced for is when if you killed a deer illegally in Arkansas and you took it to Oklahoma, all of a sudden you've stepped into federal regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you poach Transporting you illegal wildlife. Yeah, so it's, it's basically a way for them to get you. It, mm-hmm. And it's good. Like so, if you like, if you killed a bear illegally in Canada and brought it back to wherever, you would you wouldn't have just broke the game laws of a province, but you would now be have committed a federal crime of transporting illegal. And there's also stuff with plants and wildlife. I got real excited because yeah. I watched an episode of Texas uh, Texas Game Warden. There's Ooh, a TV show called Texas yeah, Game Warden. Uh-huh. It's about Texas Game Warden. I don't know if that's the name, but in that episode. They rolled up on a dude that had poached in Montana and brought his game back to Texas. And they, they, they rolled up and arrested him. And I was like, what is happening? That's a game warden. Lacey Act like, violation. Yep, they hit him with everything. Yes. Mm. He, Did you know that uh, wildlife officers have more authority than most regular law enforcement officers in terms of they don't need search warrants? Really? That, like that a game warden could pull up to your house and without a search warrant and come in and search your freezers, confiscate your stuff without without uh, you doesn't even have to have a warrant. Hmm. And it and I and I think it's because wildlife can't speak. I mean, like you know, I mean they're 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 they're, they're, they're trying to they're trying to give protection to something that that doesn't uh, have a way to be protected. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Several more questions here, guys. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. Is good. this wearing you out emotionally? It, no. I, I, well, I'm realizing that uh, I, I, the the knowledge the knowledge of hunting. If this is common knowledge in the hunting world, 
uh, it the knowledge the level of knowledge is much deeper <laughs> and more technical than I thought it'd be. Okay, like I, that that's my question that maybe I'll ask at the end is like, does everybody but us know this stuff? Right, so, right. That's good. No, you know I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A lot of this would be common, but okay. some of it may not be. Some of it's pretty specific, but um, and uh, yeah. Number seven. I don't know what number we're on. <laughs> the gestation period of a female black bear is how many days? A, 60. B, 122. C, 78. D, 182 days. Gestation period of a female black bear. Jonathan. I'm going to say 182 days. 182. Ty. 71. Both of you wrong. Gestation period of a black bear is 60 days. Really? Which is really, really short. short. Wow. Yeah. And it's because of delayed implantation. A, 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 a female bear is bred. The fertilized egg doesn't attach to the uterine wall until late, uh, until late in the fall when her body's been able to decide whether she's able to rear cubs or not. Huh. So it doesn't decide that until after the fall mass crop has been ingested and the body's like yeah man we're in pretty good shape i think we can rear a couple of cubs bam the fertilized egg then attaches to the uterine wall catalyzing gestation for 60 days and the young cub is born in the den hairless and weighs less than a pound wow masterful masterful yeah gestation period so usually big animals have a longer gestation yeah that's why i would have thought yeah Yeah, it's a trick it's kind of a trick question okay number eight on this podcast we often reference certain sports in derogatory ways. Which of these is not one we talk about? Mm. Do you understand it's, the question? The, which of the following sports is not a sport that you discuss? That we speak negatively on this podcast if, about. Wait, that you do speak negatively? We, you never there, speak negatively. Let me reread the question. <laughs> All right. On this podcast, we often reference certain sports in derogatory ways. Yes. Which of these is not one that we speak negatively about. Before you even offer the answers, as a fan of soccer, I feel like I need to walk out on this podcast. I'm just going to say careful. Right? Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> a, golf. B, tennis. C, badminton. Jonathan Webster, what's Those your are the answer? only options? Yeah. Wow, I thought basketball was going to be the answer here. Oh, I'm saying badminton. I think okay. you're a badminton fool. Okay, so we do not speak negatively about that. That's what I okay. think. Ty, your answer. Golf. We got Jonathan Webster is right. You are wrong, Ty Dennison. Ooh, we okay. speak very negatively about golf on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. So I'm behind then. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's it's yep. And and I also often use tennis as an analogy because I'm always we're we're always talking about hunting. Right. And I'm like, there's bad apples in hunting. And then like once like every other podcast, I go, but there's bad, bad apples, apples in tennis. tennis. Yeah. And so, you know, and so, okay. All right. Just, wow. Good job, Jonathan. All right. I'm All sorry. Right. Good job, Jonathan. You're into badminton, aren't you? I think okay. I've seen you cut a rug on badminton before, yeah? I don't know. I don't I no? don't think so. Really? I don't think so. Okay. okay. I don't think so, buddy. Um, how long has Barony Magazine been in print? A, 17 years. B, 12 years. C, 23 years. D, 20 years. You guys come first. Ty. 23. 23 years. Jonathan. Oh, I was going to say 23 or 20. I'm going to go with uh, 23. Bear Hunting Magazine has been in print for 20 years. It's mm. on the cover of Bear Hunting Magazine. Oh, awkward. We're the Bear Hunting Authority for 20 years. Awkward. Okay. All right. It's okay, guys. 
Okay, um, we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna move along here. Um, we're gonna move along. Um, we're gonna we've got. Uh, let's see. We're gonna go three more questions, and these get harder as we go. Mm. <laughs> Good. Okay. And then, and then we'll move I was on. Worried. I was worried. <laughs> there we, okay. In a previous podcast, we mentioned a short story titled "The Big Bears of Arkansas," and a character by the name of Jim Doggett referred to the bear he was pursuing with hounds as. Do you understand the question? Mm-hmm. He referred to the bear that. He was pursuing with hounds as A, Old Ephraim, B, a savage beast, C, a brother, D, a father. Jonathan Webster. Mm. I feel like I should take the fifth here, but I'm going to go with a brother. Brother. All right. Okay. Ty? I like Old Ephraim. Old Ephraim is a good one. Okay. Uh, Ty Dennison is wrong. Jonathan Webster is correct. Oh, man. Jim Doggett, as he saw the hounds pursuing a bear up the hill, he said that he loved the bear like a brother. Uh, Jim Doggett, Big uh, Bears of Arkansas. Okay. It, that was mentioned on the last podcast. Noted, Ty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to, to be fair, I totally yeah. guess. <laughs> I feel okay. very exposed right now. Oh, man. Okay. Bear hunting magazine. We, we may do two more to... questions. We've been we've been going at this a long way, a long time, but it's kind of fun. Um, what was one of the factors that aided in the success of the historic reintroduction of Arkansas black bears between 1954 and 1964? Okay, one of the factors: a multiple years of historic acorn and hickory nut production because of exceptionally wet summers and mild springs. B the public hanging of an entire family of notorious Ozark poachers causing widespread respect of game laws across the region. I wish it was That's that savage. <laughs> the, C, the introduction of non a non-native plant species that aided in the fertility of female black bears causing them to have large litters of cubs. D, the regrowth and maturity of the Oak Hickory Climax Forest after historic landscape-level logging at the turn of the century. Hmm. Jonathan Webster, your answer. Okay, I think it has to do with acorns, and now the question is whether or not it's A or D, and I'm going to say A. I'm going to say A. Okay, A, multiple years of historic acorn and hickory nut production. I'm I'm going D. D is correct. Yes. Nice. All right, the regrowth. Yeah, so... The late 1800s, early 1900s, basically everything in the southeastern United States was logged. Mm. So the, the, the decimation of black bears in the south and, and here specifically was from market hunting, which guys were killing bears to make money. Number two, it was massive loss of habitat. Mm. And so the, they basically the for, the, they instituted the national forest, which, which preserved forests and put them into – regimented uh you know forestry management and so after basically 60 70 years these forests were mature again Hmm. and all of a sudden there was good habitat for bears so that timing between 1954 and 64 they were turning these bears into these these mature forests which is what they needed Hmm. it's pretty interesting huh so reintroducing means they actually took captive black bears and reintroduced them physically to forests that Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh. The the reintroduction of Arkansas black bears is considered the most successful reintroduction of large carnivores in the world. So they captured them live 
up in uh, Minnesota and Canada and brought him into Arkansas and turned him loose. I've heard you say that a number of times, and I never caught that reintroduction was a physical reintroduction. I thought it yeah. was like bringing him back from the brink. Huh, yeah, interesting. Okay, I've got I've got a few more questions, but I think we'll I think we'll call it good. Good job, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good well job. Well done, competitor. Yeah. Okay, yeah, shake hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah shake hands. Yep. Okay, yeah. all right. Good game. I'm not sure who won. I wasn't keeping chat. Clear, clearly, clearly, it's Jonathan. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Barriers to entry. Barriers to entry. What? Uh, <clears throat> one of the largest barriers to entry is I just made <laughs> barriers to entry a pun in my head. So I'm, uh, bear hunting magazine barriers to entry. I, oh, that's good. That was that's a really sad joke and shows that I'm not worthy to uh, <laughs> barriers to entry. Future that's good. editor right here. Yeah. But we're gonna name the podcast. <laughs> that. There we go. Barriers Man, to entry. Good, good job, stuff. Todd Edison. No, so right now inside of the the hunting community, there really are kind of three main things that stand in the way of modern hunting continuing as is into the future three really three main things and you know there's kind of been alarmist people that would have been labeled as alarmist maybe for years that would have said you know hunting's in trouble hunt they're after hunting and i would have seen those guys as people that were just that alarmist like man there's nobody knocking on my door trying to get me to not hunt but i also live in a very rural state of a very a state that's very pro hunting. Now that I'm older, now that I'm I have sight of the national scene specifically with bear hunting, but it's much broader and wider than that. I realize that we are very much so at a at a crux, at a point in time where things are gonna go one way or another. It really is. I mean it's like for such a time as this here we are, and hunting is is in the balance. And uh, you know, a, a, a one question might be, why does why do we need to care that hunting persists? You know, I mean, like Jonathan, I look at you, and it's like you don't have a lot of history with hunting, right? So, like, I mean, on your scale in your life <clears throat> of what Jonathan Webster is going to do to make sure modern hunting persists, it's probably like really low. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it would surprise me if it was because I mean you just started. So it's like you don't have this. Uh ties would be a little bit bigger. But but mine, I mean like, you know, I've hunted my whole life. It's a big part of who I am, what I do, and the way I've chosen to live my family. It's a it's a lifestyle. You know, it's like I, I feel like we're like a people group almost. Mm. You know? And so for me to think of my sons and I always boil it down to this image in my mind. I, I envision a specific place in Arkansas, public land, that I love to hunt. When I go there, I just, I am, I, I am giddy with, with thankfulness that that place is mine, and I can go there and I can kill a bear, I can kill a deer, I can go squirrel hunting, and it's mine. And and there's a real sense of freedom when I'm standing there going into that place, and the thought of my son or daughter, when they're 40 years old, to not have those same rights makes me feel like that they would be something different than me. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's like, I don't, I want them, I want them to have that. 
You know, I don't want them to be, I don't want the culture to shift so much that in 40 years that hunters are absolute barbarians and mm-hmm. outdated and irrelevant in, in, in view of the modern hunting culture. Right. I mean, in, in view of modern society. Right. Which that's the direction it's going. That's that's the way. I, I'm I'm hogging yeah. the. No, were you going to say yeah, something? Yeah, as a layman, like who doesn't have a lot of visibility of the hunting and outdoor world, like that surprised me when I heard you talking about that because in my view, like I just had no sight of the fact that there's a cultural shift towards making hunting a more and more fringe activity. Like I was not when you talked to me in January, and people can go listen to why coon hunting matters. That was a kind of a, a revelational experience for me about what society might do. Maybe maybe it wasn't even on the podcast. Maybe it was after we wrapped right. and we talked, and you told me just about how society is shifting and how hound hunting is being um, delegated to a more fringe position. That that was the first time I'd ever even thought about the fact that hunting is being moved to the outskirts, and not just on a philosophical le- level. But I think this year I can't remember when I heard a story that you're grandfather used to hound hunt what was he hound hunting and well he, he was quail know? hunting quail hunting yeah and then there's no more you can't do that anymore right well i mean there's just there's hardly any quail left and there was a massive shift and that was a surprise to me as well i never knew that that had happened right. and so i had heard you talk about i guess a fear that 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 things would change and that your kids wouldn't be able to hunt like you had hunted and so two things happened one you opened my eyes to that there is a cultural shift happening that was invisible to me as just a, a lane. Yeah. And yeah. two, that you had a personal experience of your grandfather who used to actually be able to hunt a specific animal that was native to the area and no longer can because of whatever environmental reasons that you, caused right. it. And that kind of brought it home to like it's not just this. And like, it killed the culture. Yeah, it's not a fringe fear. Like it has happened. And if you don't manage it, it could happen again with other species. That was, right. I didn't realize either of those things until this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the three things that are a threat, and I started to tell my story to tell the three things that are a threat mm-hmm. hunter recruitment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Like hunter recruitment. Like uh, I read a statistic that they believe that there are 11.5 million hunters in the U.S. today. And that hunter would include both of you guys because you're licensed hunters now. So, I mean, that would include people that are really into it and the people that are just getting into it, people that are bird hunters, squirrel hunters, deer hunters, elk hunters, bear hunters, whatever. Um, But because of the expanding population of the U.S., that 11.4% is now like... 4.5% 4.5% of the of the nation, mm. which used to, we used to say that hunters were 10% of America. Like, like there was like 13 to 15 million of us, and we were 10%. I, I can't remember the, the stats, but yeah. basically the idea was that about 1 in 10 people were hunters. Okay, so, but hunter recruitment, and Ty, you're an IT guy, mm. uh, it just seems like society is moving further and further. Well, I mean, like kids, hunter recruitment. It's like, man, there's a lot for them to do. Yeah. There's, there's, mm-hmm. It is so <clears throat> appealing. I mean, it's like emotional junk food, life junk food to be able to stay home and watch movies on Netflix and play on your phone. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge to say, hey, do you want to go out into the cold 
for a long period of time without comforts, mm-hmm. experience a little bit of difficulty, but have the opportunity for a very lasting, meaningful memory and acquisition of wild game that we can come and or do you want to just stay home and watch Netflix? I mean, that is the thing that people oh, yeah. deal with. Or or just the busyness of life. But um Yeah, I think I, I think those are definitely like key factors. Because busyness of life and we'll get into like what what's like barriers. Busyness of life in a society that makes us so busy all the time in a ways that it didn't necessarily before, or right. less so. Right. Like that's a that's a big one. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I think uh I think modern society and even with the advent of social media has opened up our options so much in every way. Mm-hmm. I mean, used to we didn't know what the other guy was doing. We didn't know what the other family was doing unless we read magazines, newspapers, saw it on television or talked to somebody on a telephone. And like so now it's like you you like just people have so many options exponentially more options for what to do with their life, whether they stay home or read a book or go bowling or go with friends or do this or do this or do this or do this. Where used to, there were less options. I mean, like for a rural family that was hunting or something. But, okay, so hunter recruitment, I keep getting off track. (laughs) Hunter recruitment, loss of access. Mm -hmm. Both of you, whether you know it or not, have experienced issues with access to hunting land. Oh, absolutely. And number three, anti-hunting sentiment. I would say those three things are the biggest challenges to modern hunting. Hmm. Hunter recruitment, loss of access, and anti-hunting sentiment. And all those play in different places. But those are the biggest things. So let's first talk about, uh, well, maybe talk about your why you started hunting, Jonathan. Yeah. Like, what, what was it to go from urban to, like, what appealed to you? Why did you want to start hunting? Sure. I mean, I think it starts, it started real basically as, like, yeah, that kind of seems like a manly thing to do. Like, just real, honestly, yeah. just being real transparent. It's like, yeah, I've never done that before, but it seems like the men I respect have hunted before. And kind of honorable, I guess. Yeah, something honorable. But yeah. I'll tell you what clicked for me. Um, so like those were kind of the initial feelings and it was like, yeah, there's an, a, a so desire. Do you think you hunt. felt it was honorable because you've heard me talk about that? Absolutely. We're pretty close friends. Absolutely. It's so, because of the people that did hunt that set the context for me. I okay. could see how that had, would have gone a would different you way. Have, if you had been in a different context, you probably would have, would you have found hunting? There's a, if I had not had hunting friends, I absolutely would not have found hunting. I think by myself, I, it would never have been like a desire. It would have been like a curiosity, honestly. Yeah. But with the friends that I've had who are hunters, they set a context. Watching them made me think like, I'd like to try that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that that's right. And I think that also sets kind of for the listener to think about their people in their life and their circle, like the way that they portray hunting has an impact because that's what attracted Absolutely. to me. That's yeah. what made me attracted to it. Yeah. But that was what got... a a passing interest in it. And the thing that like clicked for me and I thought I have to do this is when Clay, you said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll show you how to hunt and give you, you know, give equip you, give you some info so that you could maybe become, you know, once a year hunter, just a casual hunter. That's, that's excellent. And you might be able to take something from field to table. And it was like, Oh Mm. my gosh, I want to do that. Mm. I really want that experience to be able to say like, I harvested this game and I brought it to the table and like, 
That sounds like a very rewarding That was the experience. point. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Ty, so you, you had, we already established that you had some background in hunting. Yeah. What was it that made you want to get more into big game hunting? Um, well, the, the culture around here is, is towards deer hunting more than anything. Um, and, and I had put down hunting for a while. I put down a lot of stuff just kind of when I went to college and, um, kind of pursued music for a career for a little while. When I, um, when I reshifted my priorities and got married and started having a family and really kind of got to like sit and consider what did I value, um, when I wasn't just like trying to, to hit like and, and move forward on what I was currently focused on and step back and saw like the, the like the things from my past that I really loved that that I could connect with still here it was hunting was one of them being right. outdoors I'm, I'm a huge outdoor guy I love camping I love hiking I go running trail running Ty's an ultra runner mm-hmm. yeah. he runs like 50 miles yep when no one pursues him it's well <laughs> <laughs> That was good. The only way I'd run that far is if I was running from the law. Running from a bear. Uh, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. I have a ton of respect for you for that. So I, I love being outdoors. And to me, like the most, one of the most gratifying things is to be outdoors in that setting and to hunt or fish. And so right. like have, taking game. Um, and so to me, like that, uh, to me, it's silly that people would want to hunt, run run ultras or go camping and then not value going hunting. Mm. It's like you're missing a piece of being outdoors. Mm-hmm. If I you're see. not taking it. That's like, interesting. It's mm. like at least learn how to forage. At least so you, live you, off the land You zone. feel like you're running is like an immersion into the outdoors. Absolutely. Mm. And like you see that connected to hunting. I do, yeah. personally. Ah, like I, I like to, it. People, people like that, it. Ultra, that run ultras and don't, but don't hunt or fish or forage – like there's an aspect of being out in that in that intense situation, but you can't even fully appreciate it because there's a whole aspect of being in the woods and being back in that kind of context that they're just missing out on. Hmm. And then they'll go back and, and this is where I'll I'll jab at my my ultra running community. And then they'll go back and be vegan and be like, oh, that was a great hundred mile run to the woods. I'm gonna finish it off with some soy milk. So the, the, <laughs> so the the ultra run would kind of be a throwback to like paleo man that, that had to cover long distances at different times yeah ultra runners like there's okay. there's kind of two never classes made that connection really there's kind of two classes of ultra runners there's like the ultra runner that's the elite athlete that's like trying to be fast and those guys are like science and super athletic focus and all of those stuff and then there's everybody else and everybody else in the ultra running community is kind of Joe, and this is going to sound dumb because I'm I'm talking about people running 50 to 100, anything over a, a normal marathon, an ultra marathon, so 30 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles. I see. In the woods, nine times out of ten, uh, those are just Joe average people that are willing to go gut it out in the woods for half a day or a day. They're not doing it super fast. They're not running the whole time. Yeah. There, there's a whole like swath of people that that's what they do, and they're not. They're not like elite athletes. They're just Joe Average folks that go out, go get out in the woods and push their boundaries in those ways. Yeah, and and that was the part of the appeal for me that that pulled me into it. Um, and I've worked to get faster at it, but that that appeal is the same thing that that makes me love being out 
hunting and fishing and living off the land and and camping and so it's just this whole package of just like mm. going away from modern trappings <clears throat> and ease and going and doing things like that are gratifying and require troubleshooting require skill require patience require this whole host of things that I don't exercise as a as a software developer or as somebody sitting around watching Netflix and so yeah. it it sharpens those parts of me that I value and I love that I don't get sharpened in my everyday life. Yeah. That, that's good. So yeah. that, and, and, and I got into wanted to deer hunt because, you know, deer hunting is, is what we do here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, you know, I, yeah. I was waterfowl hunting in South Texas because right. nobody really deer hunted. And everybody who did talked about, honestly, they talked about going to Arkansas to hunt. Hmm. And, and there's some good deer hunting in Texas. Don't get me wrong. Um, but where you were at, there wasn't. Necessarily. Where I was at, there wasn't a whole lot. The, no the, public land we either. Were, yeah, not much, if any. And you you go on a deer lease down in like scrub brush, like mesquite country, and and, and hunt there. But the public land was readily available for fa- waterfowl and dove. Yeah, you just go out into the flats, which is like the Bay Area, and, right. and there were duck blinds everywhere. And you right. know. As long as it wasn't locked and no. there was a big sign that said, get off my duck blind, you just roll into a random duck blind and really? throw your decoys out and hunt there. Or oh. you don't even have to have a duck blind. Just chill yeah. in, the, in the reeds and throw out your decoys and call them in and hunt. Yeah. Hmm. So when you started deer hunting, though, I, I know a big part of it was to get meat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, I love eating wild game. Uh, yeah. And, and I miss that. And, and that's, that, that's that field-to-table aspect of it. Like, I wouldn't – yeah, uh, eating, eating what I – what I kill is is super gratifying for sure. Yeah, and your family loves it. Now Sarah didn't oh. grow up eating eating wild game. Your wife, she no. didn't grow up eating wild game, but she she loves it. She loves cooking she loves it, it now. It's healthy, she's everything about it. Frustrated that I did not get a, a deer this year. And <laughs> it's not as over yet. Yeah, yeah. I think well, we got the, right. Modern, yeah. modern guns over, but Until there's Christmas. also it'll open back up at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Try and get out there then. Is that yeah. when? That's what I'm going to try and go again. Yeah, yes, sir. We're going to take him on Christmas. You ought to come. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, for, sure. for real, we ought to. Yeah, but that's good. The, know, the go ahead, John. No, I just to jump off of one of the first points Ty said. I didn't need to even realize it's something that impacted me as well, and I wouldn't have even been able to articulate this until Ty talked about getting out in nature. A couple of years ago, we started having a local film festival called the Banff Mountain Film Festival. The films from Banff, Canada, that came out here, and they showed definitely no hunting films, right? But they were films about outdoors and outdoor life. And it was really beautiful, totally outside of anything I had ever experienced before. And I do connect to that as like that also in, in you know made me more interested in getting out in nature and and thinking about hunting. Like yeah. that had a connection. So just yeah. a jumping off point of like yeah, getting outside yeah. and connecting with nature definitely yeah. planted some seeds. And those yeah. folks don't make sense to me. I <laughs> yeah. love the outdoor community of all aspects, but the like. The people that are huge outdoors folks but don't connect to hunting and just like that just there's a yeah. huge disconnect there. Like yes. how do you not like I understand seeing the beauty of an animal, but that doesn't mean that like I can't take that animal uh, and, and see and, and that's and, where and it, eat it and like be all weird and be like circle of life, brother. Like yeah. <laughs> and see, you're not a part of that, the circle of life that's when what you're eating just they like, would be saying about us right now if they were ha- if if rock climbers and you know yeah, they yeah, might be saying, they might be saying, man, I understand guys wanting to get out, but I don't understand killing an animal. Yeah. yeah. Like they would have that same barrier. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm exactly the same. We all are people that listen, people that, that, that want to hunt and get hunt, get hunting. You know, they, they see an animal and they want to interact with that animal more than just look at it and take a picture of it. Yeah. You know, 
And I mean, it's so fundamentally human. Yeah. That's why it's so bizarre, mm-hmm. absolutely bizarre, that culturally the planet is shifting into this place of, you know, hunting is irrelevant. These are barbarians. These are murderers. Do you know that about once every three weeks, I'll say, I give the definition of murder to a commenter on our YouTube channel that uh, I and I respond to some YouTube comments where they That's say brave. you murder and uh, and I come back on I'm real I say thank you so much for your insightful comment uh, the actual definition of murder is and it you know involves like contemplation of killing a human yeah. and I'm like this is not murder uh, you Damn. know and, and you know I don't do that a lot. If I, don't I'm afraid to tell people that. Colby, cut this from the podcast. <laughs> people think I'm crazy if they see I'm talking to my YouTube commenters that are. But no, point being, it's bizarre. Uh-huh. It's bizarre that this idea of killing an animal, using it for meat, using it for wildlife-related commodities, is is a negative thing. Bizarre. You know, maybe this. You go ahead. No. Well, I was going to say like, and that societal gatekeeping is kind of a barrier. So I'll point Big this time. out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll point this out. Uh, people won't know this. Uh, obviously, Clay and uh, the Bear Hunting Magazine team just came out with these awesome new uh, hats and everything with the the Bear Dog, Bear Grease, Flashy Mule, those patches. Like completely unrelated. Jonathan and I both rolled in with a Flashy <laughs> Mule hat on. Yes, sir. I, I yes. wear I wear it when I run now. I love the hat. Jonathan's got his on. You'll notice we didn't get. And I, I can, I'll speak it for myself, but I'm sure. pretty confident that Jonathan will come along with me here. Didn't get bear dog, didn't get bear grease. I've never been on a bear hunt. I don't want anybody looking at that hat and asking me about it and me not being able to identify totally because either A, there's somebody who's going to be like, well, what are you doing wearing that hat? You're not a bear hunter. Right. From one side yeah. of the, the, the hunters who would do that. And then on the other side, the folks who would ask that and and not have the contacts and not be a an advocate of hunting and so it's just like it, it, it's the mm. this is the switzerland of your merch right <laughs> yeah. here flashy mule flashy mule is <laughs> switzerland, switzerland of, your of, merch. Your, of your merch <laughs> and, yeah, and it's yeah, one yeah. thing and it's one thing that's kept me I've, I've subscribed on and off and gotten the dvds and stuff but as far as like merchandising that i wear and yeah, I, yeah. I, i've actually talked oh, about yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it's kept me from buying it because i'm just like man yeah. I, I, and I and I've I never. I mean, that. the moment I go on a bear hunt, like one, I'm gonna be like, all right, I can buy all the stuff with bear hunting <laughs> bear on it. Bear, bear hunter, 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 hunter. being in the woods trying to hunt a bear. But yeah. until then, like I just like there's a barrier there that yeah. I just yeah, don't yeah. feel comfortable. So you crossing. feel a little bit of that social barrier, absolutely, of, of somebody being negative. Yeah, about either somebody yeah. saying you're not a bear hunter because you've never bear hunted, and you, yeah. so you're not one of us, or yeah. you're not a bear hunter, and why are you why are you posing like a bear hunter? These, right. these hunters are dumb anyway. Like so, from both yeah. sides of it, there's like, yeah. and obviously not within our social group, like directly, right? But like j- on the outside of that, like uh, there's yeah. there's some of that there. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't keep me from bear hunting, but that keeps me from having a bear hunting sticker on the back of my truck. Sure, mm. that makes sense. Mm. Uh, well, what would you guys say would be the biggest barriers to entry? I mean, just to jump into like. What what would be the things that would keep someone from doing what you've done? Because I think both of you would have probably. I mean, I mean, I, it's it seems like you know having a friend that was big in the hunting, absolutely, and what uh, was 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 a help. Mm. But what 
Jonathan, I know you have notes. Yeah. What I made a list. Entry. Talk to me. I made a list. Okay, I'll just run over these really quick. But like the very first thing, which I think is the biggest one, was like, where do you even start? I had never hunted. I owned a I owned a shotgun that I won in a raffle, but I had no other firearms. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did. I won a shotgun in a raffle. I'm a lucky I'm a lucky skunk. But even if I had owned a rifle, like I, I don't even know where to start. I mean public land. I didn't even know what you could or couldn't do in terms of with game wardens and stuff. Yeah, I went to a hunter's education course, but like even when we went hunting, I even had to clarify like, okay, if I do get a deer, I'm not supposed to move it until I put something on it, right? And take a picture of it or yep. like I just yep. didn't even know. And yeah, you could Google a lot of that, but in a very practical see, sense. All that stuff is learned very quickly in just a minimal amount of exposure Yes, inside of hunting. Yes. Socially. Yes. It's transmitted socially. Yeah, it, you, there, there's not a single website that you're going to go to that's going to answer exactly. all your unique questions about hunting. Exactly. It's almost like you have to go. And once you go, you get it. Yeah. You realize that tagging an animal is not really that hard of a thing. It may seem like it. I mean, like, it, it was surprising some of the questions Jonathan asked me when yeah. we had the other day. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, one of them was about tagging the deer. And I mean, I didn't even think about that. I mean, because obviously we were going to tag the deer correctly and he wasn't even going to need to worry about it. Like, I didn't even think about if you kill a deer, don't, don't move, move it. it. Tag, you know, I mean, like, maybe we should have gone over that, but to me, it was just a non-issue. We were going to do it. If I, I got gonna, one, I was going to come get yeah, you. Yeah, you were going to, but you, you weren't going to be dragging it out by yourself. No, but, but it was still an unknown to me. Like, right. and I feel like there are so many things about hunting that are just unknowns that you have to, you, yeah, you need to get a social connection to know them because there's not like, it's not very Googleable. I guess. It's, yeah. it really is aspects of this world that's transmitted through people. So yeah, like, like I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know like I know that there's public lands, but I don't know what you can do on them. And it's stuff. It's information you could research and find out, but I just didn't have a context socially to understand that stuff. So that was like the biggest. What else one. is on your list? Okay, so not just basic knowledge. Um, well, uh, another say, one, real Go quick. Ahead. Uh, just that uh, without that knowledge, with hunting specifically, there's a lot of like problems that you can have because like. The law, like a game warden, and right. then like firearm safety, things like that. It's, it's not like I don't have knowledge. I'll it's Google kind of a it. High stakes. I'll watch a YouTube video. Yeah, it's very high stakes. Yeah. Your ignorance can really get you in a lot of that. trouble. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it, it's it is high stakes. It's not like going to the. It's not like going to play disc golf. <laughs> we're adding, <laughs> oh, we're adding it to the list. We're it to the, it's not like <laughs> disc golf where you go out and whether you know the rules or not. Right. It's not that big not that big of consequences but yep. you're carrying a firearm you're you're hunting something that if you got it wrong you could experience stiff penalties from the law mm -hmm. i, I mm -hmm. see how there would be like scary mm -hmm. maybe yeah i just want to throw that in there that's yeah. good that's the good. ignorance comes with big consequences Absolutely. that you can't like just kind of Tell the game warden, like, oh, this is my first time, officer. Oh, no, yeah. be like, like, oh, well, brother, you should have watched this YouTube video before you came out here. Hold on, I'll send it to you. Yeah. So No, that's a very real that's a real, very real consideration. Um, I think another a lot of the rest of my list that are really practical, like gun season versus bow season. Like I own a shotgun. I can go hunting with a shotgun. You help me figure that out. But it's a very small window. And so I have to kind of bend my life a, a little bit around this small window. And am I, do I want to get a bow? Do I want to pick that up? That requires more practice and more information and I guess a deeper commitment. Um, so that was another thing. Another thing is real. These three things I think are pretty funny. Like 
land to go on. I don't yep. have connections of people who, who are landowners who would let me go. Um, I guess I could go on public land, but we've already talked about that. This one's really funny, but it's a very real consideration. And I thought about it even after we went hunting and yeah. I, we, I didn't get anything. I thought I could go again by myself. And then I thought of this one thing, a vehicle. I drive a Ford Focus. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I drive wow. a Ford Focus. Where, how am I going to get a, a, a deer if I get a deer to a processor or Good even question. attempt to process it myself? I don't own a deep freezer. Like, I guess I could go get one, but like, there's just these multiple I'd be the little wow. man buying a deep freezer to Sam's Club. Right <laughs> it's yeah. just like l- multiple yeah, little berries. Yeah. That, that's great because I've never thought of that in my life mm. that a barrier to entry would be. I've got a car and I mm-hmm. can't haul what I kill back very easily. Yeah. Now, let me inform you that you can. You can put that sucker right on the top. Bring you two ratchet straps. <laughs> open the doors. Put him right on top. Ratchet strap inside the car, around the open doors, over the top. Surely. You can wrap it in a tarp. Uh, surely the, there is a YouTube video that will show me how to do that. <laughs> you'll ever see. Hey, this is John Smith. Want to show you how to tie a deer to the top of your Ford Focus. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, very good. Very good. Well, let me just pivot right to tie. Yeah. Barriers to entry. Barriers what are entry. they? I mean, if you if you even could yeah. be concise, kind of sure. like this. So like for me, thoughts. Um, time is one of them. Time. Time. Um, Deer hunting especially takes time. Yes. Um, and, and I think a lot of uh, of the barriers for me um, will, will kind of be sp- specific to deer hunting. Um, yeah. But um, deer hunting is largely autonomous. Like, I, I grew up, you know, dove and duck hunting, which is fairly social. Um, deer hunting, you, you might go with some guys to deer camp, and then but then you just go disappear to your stand. And you're like deliberately real far from folks, and so that to me, there's a lot of those. I've all my learning about hunting was done socially through friends and stuff growing up, and like we 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 all went out together in a group, and so you gain all that stuff through that social interaction. With deer hunting being so autonomous, you've got to get up to speed real quick on a bunch of information, and then be able to be by yourself. I see, and so that I never thought of it like yeah. that. Yeah, and so that like that, you're not you're not sitting by your buddy nope. in the blind, and he goes shoot now. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I or don't take that, that shot. That's a bad shot. Like right. none of that. I you, never thought you, about that. You know, and uh, and you you that gets transferred to your kids most of the time because you're taking them out there and they are sitting in the blind with you. But I mean, exactly. you don't, you don't want to be the guy who's just like, hey Clay, can I sit in the two stand? Next to you, exactly. Two hundred percent. We can share hot yeah. chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Two hundred percent. You don't want to be that guy. So yeah. you're just like, I've got to get all this information in my brain so I can get up to speed fast okay. and then go get in the deer woods. Okay. And that's challenging. Um. Uh. And, and so and so that was that was a big one. Um. But getting, you know, I I had shotguns. Getting my rifle. Um. I haven't bought one yet, so I'm actually using someone else's rifle. Though because the season was so short and it took me, like this season was frustrating because it was like, all right, I need to get my rifle. And there was definitely some feet dragging on my end. I had other stuff going on. I had to get the rifle, went out, shot the rifle, make sure it was sighted in, make sure it was good, try and figure out if I was going to try and do public land or not. And around here, public land is almost exclusively bow and muzzle loading. And so it was like, okay. Yeah. And, and then I had a couple folks I just like, 
throughout the year, I'd been kind of putting feelers out for land to hunt so that I wasn't just going to you, Clay, and being my source of hunting land. Right, I was right, like, right. I, I want to be autonomous. I want to be yeah, able yeah. to go hunt on my own. And uh, I, I had a guy fall through on me like, man, I, I, I'd love to let you hunt. I just can't do it this year. Maybe next year. I was like, yeah, you bet. You know, I'm not going to push yeah. the matter. And then somebody just ghosted me that was just like, we got this lease out here. You can come hunt it whenever you want. It's like, sure. And I was just like, hey, about that hunting. And it's just like crickets. <laughs> crickets. It's like, okay, cool. I'm just going to leave that alone because yeah, yeah. it, it was a former coworker who doesn't work with me anymore. So he's gone. Uh, and uh, so stuff like that. And, and then and this, I think this gun season was less than a month for yeah. modern gun this year. For sure. And uh, it, so, so those things, you just, time. I just couldn't get everything put together. I, yeah. When I finally got uh, the rifle and got it where I needed it, and it was like, okay, got to get the land worked out and what i thought i had i didn't have and so it's like okay scramble and it's just like honestly like i know you've got so much stuff going on i don't want and i did eventually before the season was over reached out and was just like talking hunting but you were already taking a bunch of people and that's just the aspect of it like you're kind of the uh, i'm a ham radio guy too because i just do all the nerd things (laughs) and in the in the ham radio uh world there's what's called an elmer and an Elmer is an older ham who's got experience and and equipment and all this stuff, and he's just like your guy. He's your mentor. He's right. You go to him, and like at least in our social circle, you're the hunting Elmer. Everybody is just like, <laughs> if there's a hunting question, you got to go like to Clay. Yeah. I like it. And so he's you're and 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 again, that speaks to that autonomy for deer hunting. I've got no problem saying Clay when we're going coon hunting. Clay when yeah, we're yeah. going squirrel hunting. Those are social hunting endeavors. Right, right. But when you take people deer hunting, you're you're um, you're a guide. You're not yeah. you're not going hunting. I mean, right. you, you you probably get to hunt some. Yeah, yeah. You're dropping people at deer stands right. and talking to yep. them about this and that. Yeah. And anybody you yeah. know that gets that's already up to speed is already on the deer woods without you because they yeah. are autonomous. Yeah. Um. So that's probably kind of the biggest barrier for me. Like it's that combination of. The time and the knowledge and, and getting it all put together. Um, and then, you know, to get more time in the woods, yeah. I had to get a bow, shooting a bow, uh, and, like, investing the time in there. And so that frees up public land for me, but it, it right. also requires greater patience and yeah, and tougher. all those things. Yeah. And and I've, I enjoy bow hunting. I've never taken anything with a bow, but I love yeah. just being out in the woods in a deer stand mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with a bow in my hand. Yeah. But uh, it's it's less fruitful i feel you know i think uh i want to get to and i, I gotta say this so I don't forget i want to get to barriers to me not helping people become hunters because i mm. think i think a lot of hunters will relate to what i would say about that because because yeah. I'm, I'm looking at both of you guys really in some ways kicking myself thinking i didn't do enough or you know mm. and i'm being honest i'm not trying to like I, i'm like man i could have Help Jonathan longer. I could have helped Ty more than I have, but I think one of the biggest limiting factors is just time. Yeah, like I, especially with you, Ty, with a family and stuff. It's just like everything pulls on our on on our world with time for sure. And I I, I hate it. I I, I it, it's the trend of the age, and most of the time the trend of the age has stuff inside of it that you have to latch on to to just be a normal human during that period of the world but there's also some real negative things that it steals from you you understand what i'm saying and i mean in the last let's say 15 years even 
with the advent and I, it, it 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 it's come with the advent of the of the internet. I mean, it's I think it's connected to it, whether it's a direct yeah, correlation sure. point, but but just this with with widespread fast communication being able to go through all channels of life. It's like we can be way more efficient. We can be way more. There's just way more stuff that we can do that we couldn't do before. It's like so the internet sped up life so much that there's more opportunity. It opened up communication, so now you know about all these options for your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be a mm-hmm. what you can do with your spare time. So that there's only so much spare time that any human has. Number one, that now because of communication, he knows he has all these options. And then number two, the the culture of North America is to work a ton. Yeah. I mean, our culture compared to other parts of the world is very much so more work oriented. It's like we work more than anybody else, just about in terms of time at the office, and that's cultural. It's ingrained. It's it, you can't hardly break away from it. And so, you know, I, and I don't know what to say because guys got to make a living. Yep. A guys got only does have so much free time. You're not gonna. You're not going to tell your kids you can't play basketball or your sports because daddy wants to be a hunter. Right. That's a tough one for me. Yeah. Because those kids are going to forget about sports. I mean, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. But I mean, like, your kids aren't going to be professional basketball players. They could learn the stuff that you're teaching them in basketball in the hunting woods. Mm. I mean, could they? I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of posing the question but there's no way that any of us are going to strip our kids of this opportunity to and i'm using sports as an example because that's what that's what i think about because in our in our family probably a limiting factor inside of our hunting which we have eliminated a lot of limiting factors because of my profession and just my passion time is a massive limiting factor and i think as a family you you have to you, you got to find balance. I mean, like I don't let my kids play certain sports simply because of time. Hmm. But we do we play we do play other sports that we're like, yep, we're gonna we're gonna allot some of our free time to this. This is important and valuable, and we're not gonna allot it in other times of the year because we just I, I want to I want your upbringing to involve hunting, and we don't I don't say it like that to them. But that's efficient, effectively part of it. Yeah. And uh, so, but time being a massive limiting factor is so significant. And everything comes with a cost. Every single thing comes with a cost inside of life. And so it's like, you know, and 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 like I said to you, Jonathan, when you got early on hunting, like I was like, man, you don't have to be a real serious hunter. You can just hunt. I think yes, I said yeah. you, you can just hunt one weekend a year. Yeah. And that's a that's cool. Buy hunt license. You're helping conservation. I mean, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission makes no more off of me than they do you in terms of funding conservation because buying a hunt license funds conservation. Mm-hmm. It's big time. So you buying a hunt license is valuable. And if you go hunting three days a year, every year, and you look forward to that and you build that into your family That's culture. That's the thing. Yeah, I would like love to. Like when you to. get married and have kids. like It's like, yeah, we, go, we deer hunt in November. And that's kind of what you're doing, mm-hmm. Ty. I, even if there's just that little thing, I think it opens up. And even if you're never have any intention of being a real serious hunter, it 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 uh, it's that exposure. You know, my dad and I always go back. Nah, I'm not going to talk about golf. My dad wanted. <laughs> my dad tried to forcefully put golf into my life <laughs> because I was such a hunter, 
And he was like, Clay, you need to be well-rounded. Hmm. You need to be well-rounded. You need to learn how to play golf. And he made us play golf. And I, I joke about not liking golf because of that, but I respect the game of golf. I don't play. I don't want to play. Um, but kind of even from that same perspective, like with somebody that is not going to be a serious hunter, but your family, your kids, you, your wife, your world, I think gains value from having a little bit of it inside there. Yeah. Because it, it's a pivot back to something that is way bigger than tennis, golf, or badminton. <laughs> In that we're we're humans. Humans are hunters. We this is like this is a pretty big pivot, pretty big hat tip back to being a hunter. And that's what I like. And not every family's supposed to do it, but yeah. boy, I think it's I think it's I think it's valuable. Yeah. Um the other thing that I was gonna say was I was gonna talk about limiting factors to me hunting or, or taking people hunting mm. and uh and i and i'm in a stage right now where i'm trying to find hypocrisies inside of my 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 life my world um you know where do i say one thing but kind of do another you know and from a functional perspective mm. and uh and i know for me the way that i would be better at mentoring new hunters would it it would have to cause me to slow down and be more intentional and it comes with sac it comes with cost like when i take you guys hunting um and and this would be the back door of this thing that y'all i would never say to y'all but like if i take you hunting like i am sacrificing where i can go because right. there's only certain places i can take you right i can't take you everywhere there's also certain time limitations. Like if I was going to dedicate a day to hunting, I might go two hours away to a region that I hunt. But I know that you're not interested in waking up at three in the morning and getting home at midnight and probably not. I mean, like there's just things. It's like, no, we're just going to go on Saturday afternoon with Jonathan. See, I that I I am with notice. Like I like you said that, and I'm just like I'm in. It's the same thing that makes okay. me go run a hundred miles. Right, but it's right. just like yeah, I'm up at three in the morning, back at midnight. Like yeah, but that's, funny. I that's kind of thought of the same I'm thing. With but it. Was like oh, well, I'm maybe still, I misread you guys. Maybe I, I misread yeah, you guys. But I could see how but, that would be but, a thing but to, for, new for, for us to communicate that to you, so yeah. that you know, like oh, they would they would be up for something. Like yeah, that. Like, yeah, yeah, man. Well, okay, now we know. So well, but just like there's sacrifice on my part that that sometimes maybe I've just not wanted to do. Just other other things you know i mean it's like i i, I want to kill a big buck i want to you know do do all this so anyway so there's a there's a sacrifice so what it's taken for me is to slow down and to uh and it really helps me to hear both of your perspectives really does because so guys that have hunted their whole life were pretty blind to barriers to entry you know and 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 we just are. I think I am. Uh. I'm just now, at age forty, starting to think about barriers to entry. You know, but uh, but anyway, just more sacrificial. Just like, yeah, we're gonna go. Hmm. You know, um, yeah. It, the other thing is that on private land, you don't always have permission to take people. Right. Like both of you guys, I pretty much after almost twenty years of hunting this one place, both of y'all have hunted there with me. I kind of just have the rapport with that landowner that I can kind of just do what I want, and I don't take advantage of that. But for 15 years, I never took anybody over there. 
uh, and then finally I was just like, I'd call him and say, hey, I'm going to bring a buddy. And they, he'd be like, whatever you want, Clay, it's fine. But I don't think they would have said that 10 years ago. Mm. Right. Like, But it's like that rapport finally got to that place. And then, so, you know, there's sacrifice in that, you know. Um, but, uh, and then I take Ty Dennison over there, and he kills the <laughs> biggest buck. It was so classic. Yeah. Last year, I took Ty to this place. And, uh, I mean, just one after, we were just hunting an afternoon. Yep. I, and I put you in, like, the spot I least expected a big buck to show up in. Really? Yeah. Now, I did expect you to see a deer. That's yeah, why I put I you there. I saw quite a few deer, but, yeah. I mean, I expected you to see deer. That's why it was the doe hole. Yeah. And it was during the rut, so I should have known. Yeah. But it was right on that's the edge exactly. of the field. Yep. And that's how I got him. He was right I just me. didn't think you were going to see a big buck. And I hear a boom. You hear a text. And Ty says, I think I just killed a proper buck. I think he said, <laughs> I think you said, this is like a proper, like a like, buck. Yeah. Not, and you really didn't know. You guy. really didn't have the words to describe how big it was. Yeah. And I was like, send me a picture of that thing. And he sent me a picture of it. And I was like, Holy smokes! That's probably the biggest deer that we've killed on this farm in twenty years. It was it was funny to see your excitement come back because I was excited, uh, but to to hear your except to see your excitement come back in text form, I was just like, oh, this is a legitimate. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening, it, it, it was probably buck. a one hundred and thirty to one hundred and thirty five inch buck, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know eight point heavy horned for sure four and a half five and a half year old deer. I mean. And we just don't kill a lot of those over there. So, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a dandy. It yeah. set the expectation this year when Clay took me out to that same property. I heard that story and was like, oh, here we go. I got to try go. and get here one like Ty did. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. And then, so, we I hunted with you twice this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you saw some deer on the second hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But first hunt, you said, didn't see any deer. Didn't see a single deer. And I, so interesting, because I'd never been hunting, and that was my first time, I had no idea if I was even just, like, being too noisy or, like, moving too huh. much. I, like, even asked you. I was like, yeah. hey, I was, like, scanning, like, side to side with my head. Is that moving too much? Do they, like, see me and, like, run? Yeah. Because you just have no, I had no baseline of what's reasonable what will they detect and i didn't see a single deer so i wondered oh they maybe. saw me yeah that's totally yeah. it i scared them away yeah and so um that was funny and then yeah the second hunt we went and i saw some doe way out there they were just out of range and then i heard you even describe like you got to keep a careful eye because they'll just like pop up and you won't even know where they came from yeah and that's exactly what happened i was looking to the right came back looked to the left and oh my gosh there's a buck right there yeah and uh, i never got a good shot he he went off behind me but uh yeah so yeah. i've seen the deer so no. i'm gonna get one yeah yeah, yeah. well now interesting and um, to, to to make a golf analogy uh that's like that one day when you hit like a good drive on the golf course that keeps you coming back like you'll mm. go play golf all day i say this to somebody who's not played a ton of golf at all but like it's so frustrating to be out there playing and not doing well, and then you'll hit one good drive, and you're just like, "Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep try that going again. golfing." <laughs> and it's just, just like, enough. yeah. And and I say that as somebody who like spent years going out hunting and not getting anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, you talked about having a a respect for actually seeing deer, and how you went years without even getting right. a deer right yeah like i mean you you told me a little bit about that you may even just say a little bit here but like that was a, even something that kind of tempered my expectations okay. so even seeing a deer on my second hunt was was good i had committed to like hey i'm gonna go yeah i didn't see anything on the first day i don't care if i don't see anything today i'm gonna like go until 
I get something. Yeah. I'm like, you know, endure and overcome. Yeah, and yeah. like, you know, that's part of the process. This is okay. It's okay I didn't say anything. Yeah. So seeing deer on the second hunt was like a big deal. And you reinforce right. that. Like, that's not something See, to take you would, lightly. You would pick that up socially inside of hunting. Like yeah. if you were at a deer camp, like the mm-hmm. first, like, like when, when we're at deer camp and like you see the lights of the vehicle coming down the hill, coming into camp and you're out of cell range, so you can't text anybody. I mean, it's, it's like you just, you just can't hardly wait for them to get out of the truck yep. for you, for, to hear if they saw something. Right. Not even if they killed something. Because you don't want to go for the jugular and to be like, <laughs> right. did you kill something? Like that guy, you're like, hey, sit down. Don't do that. You go, you, you kind of get out of the truck and you're like, did you see anything? And it's like, yeah, I saw something. It's like, ah. I mean, like, yeah, seeing game is like a big thing inside of, inside of hunting and 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 I've talked about it on other podcasts but just like to value just seeing wildlife is it's cool you know like uh I mean yeah yeah I, I know you uh I've been to deer camp with you three years and I've never been to a deer camp where deer's been taken but we we end up talking about what you see yeah and, and it's it is it's a really exciting time yeah and then I didn't realize until uh I well, I mean, I guess I was listening to the podcast, like what glassing was and like the, the whole pr- purpose. I mean, obviously the purpose of glassing is to see what's around you, but also like just to enjoy glassing, like just to go glassing to go glassing. That that was something I had no concept of. You don't go glassing for ducks. Right. I see uh, what you're saying. Yeah. So, what so is, like. What is glassing? Oh, well. Well, let me tell, <laughs> tell you. Me, tell me here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a Western term. Okay. That, that they would use like just looking for, looking for game. Right. Binoculars, glass. Yeah, your binoculars are your glass. Yeah. Are your glass. Sure. And so, just with big open areas, you go glassing. You're looking for just for looking game. for game. Mm. And you just would it would be a hunting technique, glass for game, and then and then go hunt them. Mm. You know, but yeah, yeah. So, just seeing game is is valuable. Um, so, barriers to entry. I'm trying to think of. Is there anything that we haven't uh, that we haven't I mean, we we've we've covered all kind of stuff. We've we've gone on rabbit trails. Um, you mentioned you wanted to talk about. Well, go ahead. No, you tell me. Tell me. No, you mentioned you wanted to talk about things that we had to overcome, things we didn't like about the hunting community. Yeah, we thought that we didn't go. Like. Yeah. yeah. So, I I'll tell the story of, of of my brother. So I have two brothers. Neither one of them really hunt. Um, and uh, and just in the last year, I was talking to one of them. And he said that as a kid, he was turned off from hunting because of uh, kind of the macho, egotistical persona that he saw in the hunting culture of, like, his high school. Like, he wasn't necessarily talking about – I don't think he was talking about, like, in the family. But maybe he was, like, in, like, our family, Mm -hmm. like me and my dad. Uh, I actually later asked him, I was like, are you saying that, like, at me? Like – not in a, like a angry sense, but just kind of like again, I'm in a time when I'm like looking at myself, saying, "Are there are there holes inside of this thing?" And uh, and and he said he wasn't. He said it was more a statement about in that area that we grew up, the people that were hunters were typically your stereotypical redneck, loud, arrogant, macho, looking for a way to externalize you know their macho mm-hmm. 
So it, it was kind of news to me. It's my own brother. And I was like, I didn't know that you had that perception. Because, see, I would have been at that time, I hope I wouldn't have been like that, but like that didn't really bother me. I mean, I was like, cool, he killed a big buck. That's awesome. That dude's a good hunter. Like, I didn't think, uh, you know, I didn't have negative. So what, yeah. what about what would be <clears throat> negative things that you would have thought before that maybe you see are different now or, or mm-hmm. negative in general that you still see are negative? I think of three things. First thing I think of was my general impression of hunters in high school, which were people who lived on the other side of the county. They always dressed in camo. They always had white trucks that they had mud splattered on the side, and you could tell. So it was you like a did have fry. some hunters in your world. They they were on like I, my high school. It's a long story, but I had to travel like thirty miles to my high school. Okay, it was in a different. It was almost in a different county. It was a. It, we were word, worlds away, and so I guess seeing those people, and I was even friends with some of them, but not very closely it was like i didn't understand the bravado of like yeah i get it man you hunt like you wear camo all the time and your truck always has mud on it and like you clearly want me to know that so like as a high schooler it was like something i just wasn't attracted to okay that the bigger thing i think that and i mean that's, that's such a light thing but it is a real thing that existed like yeah i think the bigger thing would be something that really just knowing you clay has actually kind of taken care of was a a slight bent towards thinking is hunting cruel because of like yep. thinking about like okay you shoot a deer and then you let it run and then it bleeds out and it's like right is that cruel and it's like i just kind of wondered it almost but i can see so like you guys are talking about like how you don't understand how people could enjoy the outdoors and then not get hunting but like i guess i would have leaned more towards that direction I and That's i would have, I, I like would have it. empathized with that position or just understood like yeah i don't really know what i feel about that but i feel like that's kind of strange and talking with you clay has helped me understand like how cruel and like relentless nature is and right. when we went coon hunting you talked to me about like what would be the natural death of a raccoon compared to what happens if we go coon hunting and are successful and right. that really just kind of put things in perspective like one of course animal life is in no way compatible or on the same level as human life but also just like nature and like circle of life like let's just be real straightforward about this yes and the benefit of harvesting game but like i guess i i, I would have thought about that stuff especially in I situations like where you would hunt and then not like eat the animal because i guess that would be even like so you had a problem with that yeah yeah, Absolutely. I think that would have even been like a, a far left thing of like, okay, I could get if you hunt and then you eat the animal, but if you just hunt and you're not going to eat the animal, like coon hunting or something. Yeah. I never would have understood the environmental picture and the conservation yeah. picture. I never understood for a couple of years when you said that hunters are the greatest conservationists, made zero sense to me. I trusted yeah. you, but it didn't make sense to me. Right, right. So that would have been yeah. one of the other things I didn't understand. Yeah, that's good. And so just to clarify, talking about, so much of hunting, 99% of hunting is we use the meat we eat. Right. I just want to clarify that. Yeah. Predator hunting like coons and and uh, and coyotes and different things, those are animals that we typically don't eat and we're we're hunting them for different reasons. We're hunting them for population control, we're hunting them for for fur. We're hunting them for ecological reasons. I mean like right now the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission opened up raccoon season year round on private land to help turkey and quail numbers Mm. i mean so i just want to clarify that yeah just for anybody that might be listening it's like there are other reasons to hunt besides meat but they're very small right there's nothing else that we would hunt that would just be like well i don't want to say that either 
but very few things that would be hunted. Nothing would be – there's a there, one of the, the pillars of the North American Model of One Wildlife waste. Conservation is, uh, is non-frivolous use. Mm. That's one of the pillars that we don't just kill stuff to kill it. There's a reason. So yeah. there we go. And that was invisible to me. Okay. And I would have leaned towards, yeah, hunters are just kind of like just, – they just kind of a – I would never actually. I never would have thought this. I would have wondered if it was true. If hunters had bloodlust or something. Yes. Yeah. And so I can understand that position from the, I guess, people who take that. But talking with you and like watching you has really just exposed me to subtleties I would not have seen otherwise. It's a complex. It's a complex thing. Yeah. But, so those were the three. Well, and then the last, the third one was. Um, something that you and I talked about after I was listening to Steve Rinella, uh, not the episode that you went on, but just the attitude of landowners towards anyone who wants to use their land. It seems quite, it has seemed to me to be quite abrasive or even hostile, or it's like you could be talking to a perfectly nice guy about anything in his life, but if you mention his land, it's like people kind of bow up. My impression is that people kind of bow up and they're like very protective. And oh, you yeah. and I talked about this and, yeah. you, and you kind of laid out for me like, well, historically misuse of land is like one of the first things that happens. And so people have to protect that kind of stuff. But yeah. that never fit with me in terms of like, you could be talking to a nice guy, but if he's a hunter, oh man, don't ask him about his land or don't ask him where he hunts or any of that. It's a hot yeah. button topic that I don't understand why people get so edgy about. I see. Anyways. Man, that, I like it. That's, that's such a good, unique perspective. I mean, not unique, but insightful, I think, to hunters that are pretty that are into the hunting world. Ty, perceptions of, perceptions of hunting. So I, that's one of those places where those barriers aren't as extreme for me because of where I grew up and how right. I grew up. Yep. Um, but I can see them. And I think, just, I, I was thinking about it while, while Jonathan was talking. I think that, and I, I used the term earlier, gatekeeping and it's kind of like an exclusive kind of uh tendencies that aren't even intentional it's just yep. barriers that, that that kind of get established in the culture and this happens with every passionate golf uh, tennis culture. badminton exactly cycling. i was thinking about tennis. disc golf cycling Man, razorback football fans you know like people because when you get to a point where you are so passionate and your identity is so based on your actions like it, it overtakes everything and it defines you and That's you put it point. on display. Like people that just roll around and razorback everything yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's just like they're they're on message boards, they're constantly reading this or doing that and talking all about it, and it just consumes them. And it's just like that's a razorback fan. Same thing with hunters. <laughs> it's just like and if I don't have a, a browning sticker on the back of my truck and I don't have, you know, a bunch of first light gear and, <laughs> yep. and like a like a, a big truck or or you know trophy uh, uh mounts in my house or any kind of yeah. things yep. like the because hunters have become so passionate about hunting which is both good and a little strange because it's also so much a part of what we consider normal life and then it became very yeah. uh uh like um eccentric almost yeah, yeah. or, or like, like to the edge of society yeah almost like fetishized i think yeah. would be the word like it just becomes such an obsession for some people and uh it they just wear it and so it feels like i can't 
I can't step that deep into it. It's either yeah. it's you know, and to hear you speak highly of like someone who goes hunting once a weekend every year, yeah, helps tear that down. But yeah. you don't get that, except you don't get that from some folks. And then there are some folks that do that that are kind of like the what I would have traditionally considered kind of the the lazy hunter who's just gonna he's gonna hunt one week he's gonna hunt the opening of deer season and he's gonna go out there and just like sit in the deer stand that he's had his feet are running in the whole time and like he and, and it's not wrong to do that. It's just a different kind of like th- that's the that's the average hunter that goes out and or, uh, that's that you know I'm I, not I'm not I'm trying not to be derogatory because I don't uh, I'm using words that make it sound like I'm looking down on those folks. Those right. folks hunt more than I do. They keep their freezer stock more than I do, unfortunately. But I'm not in a place where I can do that. Like you got to have land for that to have ease of hunting. To where hunting is just a part of what you do. It's not a part of your identity, but you do it and it's easy and you just have it. Like I can't step into that. I see either. what you're saying. I see. Um, and so I can't relate to that either. And so, because people are like, "Well, man, why didn't you get your deer?" Like, <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you about all the barriers. That's a complicated question. Wow. Go no, that's really. Yeah. I think it's like really, I had that. Oh, well, I, I think it's really insightful what you're saying. Because I had that a lot at. Uh, I used to work at Daisy Outdoor Products, the BB Gun Company, and obviously there's a huge hunting culture there. And there, there was a ton of hunting armchair quarterbacks. And they had, you know, a little bit of land. They had everything set up. It was just like modern gun season. I'm going to get out my my uh, my side-by-side. I'm going to run out to my deer camp. I'm going to go out, have a good time, fill my freezer full of deer, tag out, and I'm done. And they're not as overly committed to it, but they have it so easy because of, like, just having just the way they're invested into it or like what they were given or any of those things. It just comes so natural. Yeah. And so for me being the guy on the outside with none of that, it's just like, man, why haven't you got any deer? You're not getting any deer. What's going on? Hmm. It's just like, man, I'm trying. It's a, it's a little harder for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think what I hear or a conclusion that I came to about myself as I'm hearing you talk right there, Ty, is I think that in the outdoor media world, we've, talk negatively about the one weekend a year hunter Mm. i hear that we talk negatively about that because if you're a serious hunter right quote unquote then that guy is kind of not doing things the way you want he you view him as not committed you might view him as lazy you might be and you view him as not having hunting tactics that are very good so he's going in and spooking game and I just realized almost almost has an unethical feel to it. Yeah, and, and even me on the on the other side of it. So if I am on the like entry level, and then there's those guys, and then there's the next level of just like super dedicated people. Those people in the middle are kind of like, I, like I mm. I don't know. Maybe it's because I want to be one of the purists on the other end. I can even look and be like, I don't. I don't like well, those see, folks. W- what I see is that that's a massive like social construct that's sure. bad. Like, yeah. I mean, and I'm talking about me because I, you know, I would be on the serious quote unquote side because what I told you, and again, I'm looking for hypocrisies. And, and I think that would have been something that just in the last decade I would have thought, Jonathan, that it's like, man, just, just 
hunt once a week, once a year, Jonathan. Yeah. Get you a gun. Get the skills. Buy some hunter's orange. Yeah. Learn the learn some of the rules. Take your deer to a processor. You don't even have to learn how to cut it up yourself. That's fine. Just be a be a once a weekend hunter. That's fine. As long as you know what you are, you're honest about what you are. You're not trying to make it sound like you're something that you're not. Like I mean, I think that because I think that's where the purists get upset is they would see a guy like that, like and and you know, this is just like jealousy, greed, stupid stuff. Like see a guy like that kill a big deer, mm-hmm. like you did, Ty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then yeah, you know, and then that guy, and I'm not pointing at you now, yeah. you know, strut around like there's some big stud hunter, and then the jealous serious hunter, it's just stupid, sure. yeah. absolute stupidity. And now in 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 2020, as we're coming into 2020, now is the time when we have to unify, like a serious, dedicated hunter that doesn't. I mean, most real serious, dedicated hunters are not good at recruiting new hunters because you're so serious about it, you just don't have space. Yeah, like if you're going to be, it's like a professional basketball player is not probably a very good pee wee basketball coach. <laughs> I mean, like he's he's. You know, during the NBA season, during right. the peak of his career, right. it's like I don't have, I don't have time. I'm traveling to Cleveland to play LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, like that's what it feels like. But we have to, I have to, and a lot of the guys. There's probably a broad spectrum of people that listen to this podcast. Guys that are pretty serious and guys that are pretty new. And it's like we all got to be on the same team. Yeah, it's like man, I like it that you can just go hunt a couple times a year. Just do that and tie. You know, you may find a space in between there at some point when you maybe find a deep connection to some hunting land that you have. Mm-hmm. And and you're like, man, every year we can go there. So I'll take the boys out there three weekends a year and we'll kill. You know, maybe you can take it a notch higher. Right. You know. And that's the goal. Yeah. I, th- I think that's what you want. You, like I, you're, I, yeah. And and it's undecided what you want, Jonathan. Right. Uh, you know, you're you're new. So the, yeah. the sky's the limit. Yeah. You You may kill a deer and be like, man. I want to dedicate a lot of my free time in the fall to this. I love it. I want to, you know, I mean, yeah. But what I'm saying is that typically the serious hunter would look negatively on anybody that wasn't doing it as good as him, and he'd be jealous of the guy that was doing it better. Yeah. That's what's got to die, you know? And, uh, and what I'm, and, and you said the word elitist. I think that describes us, and I'm going to say us as, as quote unquote, the serious hunters. Pretty well. And I don't know how to remedy that other than just to change it internally. Mm. But like, yeah, we're kind of elitist. And boy, you don't want to be around an elitist no. if you're an amateur. Very true. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's so true. This year, I got into cycling. I have really been getting into cycling, and I've pushed myself, and I'm a cyclist now. But I am a very amateur cyclist. And there is a guy I know in the cycling community who is what I would call an elitist. Add he it is, to the list. No, no. Tennis, this is, golf, <laughs> badminton. Cycling. Cycling. No, but this is a good story, though. He, yeah. he, is, he is able to keep up with, uh, with uh, group A's on these you know, really impressive communities. And he can, he can just run, I mean, circles around me. 
And he made an effort and he reached out to me and said like, Hey, I'll take you out sometime. Like I'll show you some of the routes that I like to go on. And I, I actually like did not pursue him because I was thinking like, yeah, he's in the, you know, he's kind of the elite. I don't want to like drag him down. I kind of don't want him to get frustrated at me. And he made an effort and he actually like put me at ease. He said, I think he just picked up on the fact that I was like, kind of like, Oh, he's, he's way too out of my league here. And he Mm. said like, Hey, listen, I can go with one of these communities and ride 20 miles an hour for four hours anytime I want, but I don't always want to do that. Like, I want to go on your ride. I want to show you the things wow. that I enjoy. Yeah. And then you might enjoy them too. And like, I don't care if we go 13 miles an hour. That's your pace. I'll make it my pace. I can go 20 miles an hour if I want yeah. to, but I don't want to today. And that really put me at ease and let me receive from him. But he, I think, modeled the kind of thing that you're talking about of somebody who has a foot in the elite who can pour into somebody who's just starting out willingly and not, not with any sort of resentment or like frustration, but like pulls them along and says like, Hey, no, I enjoy showing you how to do this as much as I also enjoy going out there and riding 20 miles an hour. Yeah. That's good. I think, I think that's key. I I see that in the running world too. Like people going running and and like wanting to push themselves at, at tempo or push themselves at distance they're intimidated. Like I can't run that far. I can't run that fast. And it's just like, yeah, but I can run less and I can run slower. Like as the person who is, who is pushing themselves and it's just further along in the journey is what it really boils down to. I've just been doing it for more time. I can dial that back and, and bring you along. Cause like there's, there's joy in that. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think of, uh, your dad, Clay, uh, as somebody who you talked about, um, Somebody who's like really busy going hunting all the time doesn't get to hunt, so they they're they're so focused on it they can't help out. Yeah. They don't have time. And you mentioned a really good basketball player, good basketball player wouldn't make a good coach. And it's just like right, it's a different kind of person to be a good coach. I think of your dad, like running those deer camps. Man, he's the host of all hosts, and that's yeah. what he's there to do. He's not there to hunt when he's yeah. got his deer camp running, and he's yeah. invested time into it. Yeah, and he's trying to make sure. Our hunts go as well as they can, yeah. yeah. And I appreciate about that. It's one of the great yeah. things. I one of the reasons I enjoy going to deer camp is I know Gary Newcomb can take care of me, man. Yeah, and it, uh, yeah. And, it's and he be good. does. He does. He is. He is a host, and uh, and I know he he does hunting on his own too. But like, he does a good job of kind of switching those. Yes, he those does hats in that context. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Well. I really, I think my eyes have been opened at a new level to kind of the, you know, because there's all these external things like humans love an external fix. Like an external fix is take a new hunter in 2020. Well, you could take a new hunter and feel like you've done your deed. Yeah. And you not really give them a legitimate space. Mm. It would be like you taking me cycling. Say, I got an extra cycle. Come cycle with us. And then you checking off the box. I've introduced Clay to cycling. <laughs> and but, then I take you into somewhere that you would never want to come back. Yeah, or, or, or just not – I don't know. It just it just takes time. It would take yeah. time for, for you to say, man, cycling is valuable because it's, it's this and it's this and you get to do this and you get to experience this and it opens you up to this socially and you get to – I mean, I, you know, it would, just, it would just take more than just like come with me. Yeah. And I think – uh, it, there's just broader well okay i was talking about external fix really the fix the fix for hunters in our problem is internal 
It's with each one of us. And I'm talking about us being the like established hunting community. I don't even want to break it down. But like my the way that I will be a better hunter mentor and help people navigate through barriers is for me to be something a little bit different than I am maybe even right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. To be to 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 take the time to really think about the barriers. And you know what? The other thing is is that you you guys don't know it, but you guys have passed some tests that I have internally for who I invest my time in. Hmm. You know, I mean, like I was really impressed, Jonathan, that you went and did your hunter's education course, and that you got a gun, and that you at least kept knocking on the door. Like we had a joke, <laughs> yeah, because a couple of times he asked me to go, and yeah. I say, "Keep knocking, buddy. Yeah. We're gonna make because you, you wanted to go and we couldn't." And I said, "Keep knocking." I said, "The way that you get to." that I'll really help you as much as I can is if you just keep asking. Right. Don't ask me one time and then 10 years later say, well, you never took me. Mm. I'd be like, you don't really want to go if you ask me one time. Right. right. I mean, whether that's right or wrong, like I, I, and I do have a lot of people talk to me about hunting and I want to, I want to invest my energy into some, into someone that's really at least serious enough about it. Mm-hmm. And both of you have done that. Ty, you have for a decade. And I like that. You're never going to wear me out saying I want to go hunting. Yeah. Really. Even actually this year I wondered why you didn't cuz you killed a big buck last year. Yeah. I figured you'd be like, "When are we going, Clay?" Yeah. And so you didn't. And now I see and that you that were was, you were trying to be polite. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, I got to go on my own. I re- and I respect that. I, I do. And and you're right. You know, I mean, for you to really establish what you want, I mean, you kind of are going to have to find not that you can't come hunt with me. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But you know, yeah. That, that's why it does take some initiative. There's there's several young gentlemen uh, that uh, I know right now that I've said, get your hunter's education card. I will buy your hunting license, and I will mentor you in hunting. And it's been a long time, and they still mm-hmm. haven't done it. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, you know. And they have their own unique challenges. So I'm not dogging them, but. I, I, there, there's a step that they have to take you know? mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. so there, it, there, there's a cost there's a cost to anything if I wanted to be an ultra runner it would be a big cost you know um, but the, the the unique thing about hunting is that we have to have participants for it to last because hmm. if it ever gets down to where there's one million hunters in the US this democratic government of ours will shut it down I mean it, that's a very narrow non-complex simple way to say it but it there's so much at stake conservation dollars being funded by hunters being funded by the robertson Pittman excise tax which was going to be on the quiz but i took it off i'm so glad i've never heard of it so well that's the way (laughs) conservation is funded in this country okay i mean that's that is the one of the main arguments that we have for modern hunting is that we pay for habitat conservation and wildlife conservation through this excess tax. Is that on the ta- is that tax on ammunition or tax on ammunition, hunting, and fishing gear? Okay, guns, <laughs> guns, ammunition, uh, all hunting gear like a grunt call, camouflage. You know, yeah. So of the of of hunters, the population of hunters, what percentage do you think? Have knowledge about things like the Robert Pittman tax or the Lacey tax. You know, tax more and more kind of since podcasts have popped up. Really, like, yeah. but would my dad know about the Robertson Pittman Act? No, I'm I, very doubtful. And my dad's a lifetime hunter. 
Do you think hunters should know that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Really? Yeah, that that's that's where our narrative has to shift. And that's inside of outdoor media, that is my I preach that you got to have the words to say to people. Like you can't just be like, ah, I love to hunt. You got to have the words. Yeah. You got to be able to say, man, we fund habitat and conservation through this excise tax that we willfully pay more for and that money goes into a slush fund of the federal government that's distributed to all the states. So Arkansas gets Robertson Pittman money every year that funds the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission buying habitat that's turned into public land. That would be one example. Mm. They buy like they, they, they might buy a farm that's next to a piece of public ground that's up for sale that would be beneficial for that piece of public ground to connect another piece, and they're like, we're going to buy that. I mean, they could use Robertson Pitt money to do that. That land is then forever cemented into the public domain. I mean, like massive win for conservation. Mm-hmm. They're never going to put a mobile home park there. They're never going to put a strip mall there. It's going to be wildlife habitat for the foreseeable future. You know, you know so it's like that kind of stuff. we got to know why – I mean, we got we got to have the narrative. We got to have the words, and that's what leaders do. Is leaders give people the words, they give people the vision, and and then and then and and they and they 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 cast the they they cast a vision that people go, yeah, I want to. That's and and they they get it and they start to talk like it. They start to sound like it. I mean, and that's what's happening in the outdoor space. And there's lots of people doing it. Mm. Lot lots of good good people in the outdoor space that are preaching preaching this same thing in a lot of different ways you know so excellent well thanks guys good conversation yeah for sure it's good it's good for me really was yeah it really was and 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 so i appreciate it closing comments jonathan webster well a question to the things that you've said then are there places that hunters can go where there's like a statement of values or a place where you can like say like here are the words here's the stuff or is that just like stuff that you accumulate over time as you talk to hunters and you share in the community? The thing is, there's so much nuance, there's so much difference. There's there's no one place that you can go that's just going to tell you everything you need to know about hunting. Sure. If Clay Newcomb made that pay made that statement of values, which would be a hundred percent true for me, you know, the pheasant hunter in Kansas would read it and be like, ah, I get some of what. Clay's saying, but that doesn't fully translate. Mm. You know, you could take the the biggest leaders in hunting, and I mean, so so it's so hard. It's so this continent is so big, so varied, so many game species, so many different levels of entry, so many different motivations. It's it's hard to do that. So it's got to be transmitted. I mean, by the people. There are in people regions. and things that try. I try to do that every time I write. In Bear Hunting Magazine, I mean, it's like you're trying to portray the value system mm. because the value system is what will make us persist through time. Mm. You know, I mean, like the value system of the people that are involved in this activity, mm. those people will forecast the future. And that's that's one thing that I'm saying that I don't know that a lot of people are saying is that it's the people. It's the individual hunter that's got to change. Yeah. Not you doing something different necessarily. You do have to do something different, but you've got to become something different. You've got to become more inclusive. You've got to become more sacrificial. You've got to become more heraldic. That's the word that we've been using, heraldic. We've got to 
proclaim. Not and and we've got to become more knowledgeable. We've got to become more intelligent. We've got to become more thoughtful. We've got to become more interested. We've got to become more introspective. We've got to understand our motivations. Um, and and we have to look deeper into why we even value this. I mean, like, why am I so interested in my kids being able to go up on that mountain and hunt bear in 50 years from now? Like, is that valuable? And uh, I think it's valuable. Yeah. And I think every, I think anybody that has tasted the outdoors and tasted hunting in a real, genuine, authentic way, they're like, that part of the human experience is valuable. Mm. Mm. That is worth that is worth some investment of my life to make sure that this keeps happening, you know, mm-hmm. valuable. Um, that was part of your closing comment. That was, I mean, yeah. No, I think you, uh, that's fine. Ty, closing comment. Uh, mentor, mentor a hunter. That's, that's it. I think that they're, I mean, obviously you're going to mentor your kids. That's just part of being a father yeah. uh, or a mother uh, if, you're in, uh, in the, if you're in the outdoors. But find somebody that's not your kid and mentor them. Because I guarantee you there's people like myself and Jonathan who either are just getting into um, hunting as an adult or were in it and stepped away or, and are having to retool. Yeah. And so there's interest there. There's people that, that want to get involved, but they're just not somebody's kid anymore. And they need somebody to like just bring them yeah. along because there's so much about it that's – socially transmitted and passed down like there's it's a cultural thing it's a it's a tribal thing hunting is yeah and it's it's region it's it's regionally locked in that way that's to come back to what i was saying like moving up here like the tribal hunting culture of northwest arkansas is so vastly different than where i grew up i've had to retool and like gain and learn and do and so like find the folks that are hunting curious around you and you know (laughs) and clay like you talked about uh, become something. Become a mentor. Don't just take them out in the woods once. Like here's yeah. here's a, here's a thirty out six. Go sit in that stand. The deer's gonna come uh, hit the right. corn and pop, and you're done. Like be be right. more mentoring. Like take pride in what you do and understand it enough that you can help educate somebody else. And that's yeah. how it'll grow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Well said. Excellent. Well, for us, for sure to keep hunting alive as we know it today in this wild rugged and vast continent of north america that we live on we've got to keep keep the the wild places wild because that's that's where the bears bears live live. (laughs) all right we nailed it You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. 
I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 